0: Hey everybody, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Welcome to part three of Let's Mix and Master a Song. Today we're going to check out our mix really quick and then get to mastering. So let's get started. Okay everyone, so we've made a couple of tiny tweaks to our mix. We opened it up and made a couple tiny tweaks. I'm just going to um, check out a couple of these things. Adjusted a couple of the little synth parts and the vocals and... Um, I'm going to check out the automation on the main electric guitar a little bit. I might just bring that guitar down like a dB or something. Uh, It's been a minute since we've listened to this, so um, I'm just going to do one more pass and just double-check everything before we get started mastering, and uh, hopefully everything's about where we like it, and just double-check, see if we missed anything. Here we go.
1: It seeps through my window In illuminated veins A warm touch of yellow Making shadows on my face I was just dancing, dancing Underneath my eyes on the grass The dirt and the dark I was just dancing, dancing, dancing Under the willow tree it's been a while. I knew my sheets all too well, and the warmth that's in between, taking me over to the other side.
0: okay so I've tweaked a couple of tiny little things tiny little Eq tweaks on the drums and guitars um, so small you might not have even heard them but they're very subtle just tiny little things double checking I pulled down the bass like a half DB I pulled down the main electric guitar like a half DB um, let's see I pulled down the overheads at this last section at this last section here um, where they got a little bit Dancy, Dancy little bit crazy uh, without pulling them down. Um, Let's see, nothing really major. Um, I automated the guitar uh, at a certain part, pulled it down just a tiny bit more. Um, Yeah, that was pretty much it. I adjusted the backing vocals a little bit, so nothing major. I'm pretty happy with the way our mix is sounding, so we're going to render it and get to mastering. Okay, so we've done our mix. Uh, we rendered two different versions of the mix, sort of a normal and then a vocal up, um, which I'm I'm gonna start with the normal one for now. Um, but we might need to use the vocal up if we feel like the vocal isn't uh, isn't doing what we need to. Um, that's something that certain mastering engineers will request. Um, that's sometimes just a good habit to get into. Um, that's probably the most common. Uh, mix tweak that is made, either the vocal up or the vocal sort of sitting in the mix a little bit more. For me, that's usually a dB or a dB and a half difference between the two. Uh, and the mix is identical in every way except for that. Um, so, uh, we're going to start with our normal mix, and we might use the vocal up, but we'll just see. So, um, One thing I wanted to say was that I've got this in a new session, a separate mastering session. My template is different. My track layout is a little bit different. um, And I highly recommend that you master in a separate session, Um, not only because it's a separate process to the brain, but because... You know, I used to be like a lot of you and I used to try to sort of master in my mix session and I would just pile stuff up on the master bus and I gave all kinds of weird excuses to why that's okay. Like, oh, you know, they want to hear it, how it's going to be done or blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's just not good practice, Um, especially when you start getting bigger clients, better clients, and you're not going to be the mastering engineer. You're going to be just mixing or you're going to be just this or just that. You're not going to be doing everything every part of the process, Um, it teaches you bad gain staging habits, it makes you sort of rely on the master bus processing to make it sound good, And that's just not something you want to get used to um, because what happens is the first time you get a project where, you know, you send it to a mastering engineer, you're not going to know how to make it sound good without all of those limiters or compressors or whatever. Um, You know, I'm not saying that you can't put stuff on your master bus, but, you know, don't try to master on your master bus. Don't put a limiter on your master bus. You know, don't slam your master bus with compression. Um, Most mastering engineers will tell you what they want in terms of headroom on your mix. Uh, From all the ones that I've worked with, the opinion that I seem to have gathered is, you know, try not to have peaks above maybe negative 3, negative 6, and again, that super depends on the person. Some mastering engineers, you know, they're like, as long as the peaks don't go to zero, you know, we're fine. As long as the peaks are, you know, negative 1 or negative 0.5, we're fine. What most mastering engineers tend to care about most, though, is RMS level. They want to make sure that your RMS isn't too low or too high. What I mean by that is your mix isn't too dynamic or too crushed. Uh, If the mix is too dynamic, that's not something that they can handle in a single mastering process very easily. You, as the mix engineer, need to get a hold on the dynamics of your song. And that's something that comes with time and practice and failure and success, (laughs) Um, just like everything else. So you need to learn to make your mixes um, contained in terms of dynamics uh, by using good compression, by practicing the use of compression, um, by figuring out techniques that allow you to get that sound that you like Um, that's not overly dynamic and that's not under dynamic, (laughs) that's not, uh, you know, crushed beyond belief. So I would say most mastering engineers that I've talked to prefer that your mix have an RMS of maybe, oh, negative 18, negative 15, something like that. Uh, The real thing that they care about, though, is something called crest factor. Now, I've talked about this a little bit Uh, in my book, and I talked about it a little bit on the podcast. And essentially, crest factor is just the difference between the peak and the RMS level. Um, If you have an RMS of negative 18, but your peaks are negative 14, then you only have a crest factor of 4 dB, and your mix is still crushed. It's just quiet. Um, So that's no good. Um, But if your mix has peaks at zero and and an RMS of negative 18... That's a, that's pretty dynamic. I mean, you have a crest factor of 18 dB. It's hard to again, it's again, it's hard to say what a mastering engineer is going to prefer in terms of crest factor. Essentially, you could also consider this your DR value. Some people call it that, which is essentially how much dynamic range you have, uh, which is again the difference between your RMS and your peak. I would say most mastering engineers would prefer that your mix have a crest factor. Of maybe oh, 10 to 18 dB uh, when you send it to them. And you can get a plugin called the TT Dynamic Range Meter to see sort of if you're in the ballpark here. It's a free plugin, I think. Uh, it's a great, simple plugin that t- shows your sort of RMS level and your dynamic range. Um, so try not to send it to the Mastering Engineer Super Crush, but also not crazy dynamic. A crest factor of 20 dB. Um, or dynamic range of twenty dB is pretty, uh, pretty wide. Now you might that might be okay for the context of what you're working on, um, but if it's like a modern pop rock mix, that's probably too wide for the mastering engineer to deal with easily. Now that doesn't mean they can't do it. That doesn't mean that um, they can't make it work, but. In most cases, I find that it sounds better to get a hold on, on your own mix so that they don't have to do as much work. The goal for a mix engineer is essentially for the mastering engineer to do nothing. Um, now, that that statement can be misconstrued. That doesn't mean that the mix is crushed and the mix is so compressed that the mastering engineer doesn't have to do anything or that they can't do anything. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you've got to hold on your dynamics to the point where, um, your RMS is, is good, but not too hot, not too cold. Essentially, uh, your peaks are in check where they're not too, you know, crazy. They're contained, they're controlled, and the mastering engineer can do their job effectively and subtly, essentially, uh, that they're making tiny EQ tweaks and that they're making tiny compression you know, tweaks and tiny limiting things if need be. Um, you know, Some mastering enge- engineers will tell you that the best limiter on a master bus is no limiter at all, um, where the mix is contained in such a way and it's been mixed in such a way that the peaks aren't unruly, nothing is popping out to the point of going over, um, you know, anyway, it's, that's something that's a little bit hard to talk about and it definitely depends on the mastering engineer, but in general, I would say a good rule, a good rule of thumb would be, you know, try not to keep, try not to make your peaks go over negative three, um, you know, give yourself a little bit of headroom on there, you know, if they go over negative six, that's fine maybe a dynamic range of 10 to 18 DB would be safe you know you could say probably if I had to just guess I would say maybe 12 or 15 DB um, would be a pretty good dynamic range on a song that way the the mastering engineer you know isn't trying to get a, a bunch of loudness out of your song you know uh, but he can if he needs to. Uh, if your dynamic range is 20 or 22 dB, that's going to be a little hard to deal with because, again, um, in in the real world, nothing can be done super effectively in one single stage. Or not, I won't say nothing, but it generally sounds better to do things in small stages. So, you know, rather than trying to compress something, uh, you know, 20 dB. Um, it will probably sound better to do three or four stages of 4 dB, Um, and you can get away with 20 dB of compression on something, but maybe not all at once. Or if you're doing 20 dB, you might be able to get away with it in parallel. So you're not sort of doing anything in one huge, big, broad, you know, just clamp. Um, You're doing things in multiple stages. And if you think about uh, a a high-budget session... Most likely, you're going to have a separate recording engineer, a separate mix engineer, and a separate mastering engineer. And the recording engineer might use EQ and compression on the way in. And then when they send it off to the mix engineer, it might as well be flat for all they're concerned. Um, you know, they don't know how much EQ or compression was used on the way in. So they're not afraid to use EQ and compression on the mix. But again, that's a separate stage. And then they might do it on the individual track. They might do it on a bus, like a drum bus. And then they might do it on the master bus. Then it's sent off to another person, a mastering engineer, who, again, doesn't know how much EQ and compression was used. Uh, so he's not biased into thinking, well, you know, I've already... EQ'd and compressed that pretty heavily, I, I probably shouldn't do any more. Um, so at the end of the day, a lot of sessions will wind up with quite a bit of EQ and compression, um, but it's done in multiple stages and by different people and so, um, it ends up sounding more natural than if it were just try. you know, if you just recorded a vocal completely dry and then you slammed it with 20 dB of compression and 10 or 15 dB of EQ, you might not be able to get a very natural sound, but doing it in stages uh, will help you do that. Um, so, moral of the story: try not to keep your peaks any higher than negative three dB, negative six dB, maybe. You know, try to keep a pretty healthy uh, RMS level. You know, negative eighteen, something like that. Negative fourteen, negative twenty, maybe. Uh, But again, the big factor, look at your crest factor. Um, Try not to make a crest factor that's any smaller than, say, 10 dB, maybe 12 dB, but you also don't want a crest factor that's, you know, 22, 24 dB. That's going to be a little bit hard to control. Now, again, if you're working on something that's orchestral um, or like traditional folk instruments or even like film score, um, you know you can get away with a little more dynamic range. But if you're doing something that's like a rock song, a pop song, country, metal, uh, you know, R&B, hip-hop, anything like that, you're probably going to want a little bit less dynamic range in your mix because those things are not going to, I mean, they can't handle that. Um, You know, there are lots of opinions thrown around. That's my opinion. Take it or leave it. Uh, So first things first, we're going to uh, pop in our normal vocal mix in here and we're going to just go through it and see if there are any EQ moves that we need to do. Now, I'm going to try to primarily cut. Now, again, I've talked about this on other podcasts. There's a myth that boosting EQ is not a good idea and that cutting EQ is gonna sound better or that it doesn't introduce as much phase shift or whatever, and that's just a myth. It's a straight up 100% myth. Um, cutting and boosting EQ are essentially identical. Um, in the, If you talk to anybody that owns analog EQs, um, they're gonna tell you that boosting sounds awesome and that's because analog EQs are essentially just little amplifier circuits um, and that's essentially how a guitar amp works. Any of you that are guitar players will know if you take a, an amp and you you know turn it to a good, good hefty level and you turn all the EQ all the way down, not only are you getting less EQ, but you're getting less drive. And when you crank the EQ all the way up, you're going to get more drive as well as affecting the EQ. And essentially analog EQs work the same way. If you're boosting a frequency in analog, um, you're driving that frequency as well. You're giving it more volume and you're giving it more gain and you're affecting the EQ. And so it sort of drives and saturates that frequency a little bit more. Um, In the digital domain, there's some somewhere, sometime, there was a myth that was propagated that cutting EQ sounds better. And I think that's, um, you know, I, I have a good reason for that, why I think that is. And that is, I think that people got confused when they heard eq being cut they they what they didn't realize is that they were preserving their headroom in their mix and you know that i'm big on preserving your headroom in the digital domain um because you know there's a lot of shows you know on this topic that we talk about this on gain staging um you know if you start boosting eqs In the digital domain, you're just pushing that level closer and closer to zero and you're leaving no headroom. Now, again, if you leave yourself good headroom while tracking and if you gain stage your mix properly, you can boost and cut without fear of going over. You have plenty of headroom to work with. Um, whereas if your tracks are super hot and you haven't left yourself good headroom, then boosting, you're going to have that chance of clipping a plug-in or clipping a bus or whatever. And yes, you can clip plugins, even if, um, you know, your fader is down and you're not clipping your track or you're not clipping your master bus, you can clip plugins, And that doesn't sound good. Those little bits of distortion add up over time and make your mix sound harsh. Um, so... Leave yourself good headroom on your tracks, and if you're confused about this, please go back and listen to our shows on gain staging. Uh, Listen to the addendum on gain staging that we had. We talked about uh, on one one episode, there was a short little episode um, that talks a little bit more about gain staging. Um, You know, go check out all that stuff. Uh, if you have my book, please reread the chapter, the little section on gain staging. I believe that's in earlier part of the book. If you have questions about it, please email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Um, but getting back to our master here, um, I'm going to try to mostly cut, and that's because I want to preserve the headroom that we have. I might boost a little bit, but again, in the mastering stage, most of the EQ moves are very subtle and they're wider, they're not as narrow. Uh, most of them are very subtle. You know, a dB or something like that, maybe a half dB. Um, You're trying to listen to the mix. You're trying to listen to the mix as sort of a big picture rather than sort of, uh, you know, like focusing on any individual thing. You're listening for it as the big picture. So I'm going to be using FabFilter Pro Q2. This is one of my go-to EQs, if not my go-to EQ on basically anything or everything. Uh, But I'm going to be using it in natural phase mode, which I find sounds really good on when you're EQing a full mix. And we're just going to see if there's anything as a whole that we need to tweak and see what happens. So here we go.
1: Through my window In illuminated veins A warm touch Shadows on my face I was just dancing, dancing Underneath my eyes Dancing, dancing, dancing It's been a while. (laughs) I know my sheets all too well. Take to the other side, where truly feel happy.
0: Okay, so I'm actually pretty happy with the decisions I've made so far. Again, nothing major. Uh, You might not have even noticed me doing much, actually, other than when I would solo up a band. Essentially, all I've really done so far is uh, I've added a tiny bit of top end, um, 0.2 dB up at 22K, uh, and it's pretty wide. I mean, it goes all the way down to 4 or 5K. It's just a nice little wide bell there, and then I boosted a little bit at... 4k again 0.2 DB just a little bit here um, but uh, for the most part I was cutting so I cut a pretty wide mellow shelf about a DB starting at about 15 Hertz so at 100 Hertz it's only like a you know a third of a DB it's not a whole lot just pulling down the low end a little bit uh, seems a little bit tubby down there in the sub region I'm pulling out a tiny bit 0.7 DB at 210 Hertz. I'm pulling out a little bit. This is actually fairly narrow. I'm pulling out a little bit at 392 hertz, 0.8 dB, a tiny little bit at 775 hertz, 0.6 dB, and pulling out a tiny bit at 2.3K and a tiny bit at 6.2K. And again, all these are under a dB. These are tiny little movements that, um, you know, I'm just adjusting sort of like... You know, some of them I might end up taking off once we add some other processors, compression, etc. i um, not really sure. I really like the way that it's sounding so far. Uh, it's not messing with anything in the mix. You know, it's, it's just sort of overall tightening up certain spots of the mix that seem to be kind of piling up on themselves. Um, so that's good. I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, let's see here. Next thing I want to do is actually... I'm going to do another pass with a separate instance of Pro-Q, and what we're going to do is actually do some mid-side EQ. Now, if you're not familiar with mid-side EQ, please look it up, mid-side processing. It's akin to mid-side mic technique, but it's different. Um, It's really complicated to talk about in a short amount of time, so I'm going to save that for another podcast, but essentially... Uh, you're sort of doing these this faux stereo processing where you're processing the quote middle of the mix and the quote sides of the mix, but it's not quite the same as doing like uh, like eqing the left versus the right um, because. In this case, the mid channel is left plus right, so it's you know like normal stereo. If you have something in the left speaker and something in the right speaker, there you know that are the same, it's going to sound like it's coming from the center. You know, if you take a channel and duplicate it, you know one on the left, one on the right, it's just going to sound mono. Okay, that's so that's what the mid channel is, but the side channel. Is essentially left minus right. Uh, so it's sort of like this out of phase version of the sides. And I'll, I'll just let you hear that. Uh, let's see here. Let's pull up another pro cue here. All right. So I'm going to play you just the mid.
1: Dancing, dancing.
0: And this is just the side. If you're listening on an iPhone or something with a mono speaker right now, you'll notice that that uh, turns to silence. And that's because the side is essentially like taking a channel, duplicating it, panning them hard left and right, and then flipping the polarity on one of the sides. So it's not really like the left and right. It's like this out of phase version again it's kind of i could do an entire podcast on mid side and i probably should because it's really difficult to talk about i might even need to do a youtube video about it because it's it's just kind of strange to talk about but uh so if you're listening on headphones or a car something that's stereo uh right now then you're probably hearing this but if i uh if i play this again for those of you listening on an iphone or something with a mono speaker you're gonna hear nothing right now If you can hear this, uh, notice that there is like no very little kick drum, very little snare drum, almost no lead vocal, uh, almost no bass. Uh, and that's because those things are pan center. And if you think about it, if center or mono is basically just means all that means is that it's coming out of the left speaker and right speaker at the same volume, if you subtract the right speaker from the left speaker, mono stuff that's totally perfectly mono will cancel. Um, So this is an interesting way to process. You can EQ and compress in mid-side. You can do lots of things with mid-side processing. Uh, If you turn up the side as opposed to the mid balance, you get uh, sort of a little more width out of your mix. The nice thing about mid-side processing is that you can affect the way the mix sounds in stereo but it won't affect how the mix sounds in mono per se. So if I, for example, EQ the mid-channel, it will affect how the mix sounds in mono and stereo. But if I affect the side channel, and remember the side channel is just sort of this out-of-phase version of the mix, it won't change the mono mix. So I'll give you an example of why that's useful. Let's say you've got your mix in mono and you're balancing it, it sounds really good, and then you turn to stereo and it just seems like the guitars or the backing vocals are just a little bit too present and noticeable. You can EQ those down in side mode and that will only affect how the mix is heard in stereo now again you got to be careful with this you can't go crazy you can start getting really weird and phasey really quickly um, so definitely take time to practice it um, get an EQ like the FabFilter Pro Q or Equality from DMG um, any EQ that can do mid side processing and try to mess with it a little bit and try to see what you can learn from it uh, but again I'll try to make a podcast and a YouTube video specifically about mid-side. But uh, anyway, so we're going to do another pass of the song, and I'm going to be trying to affect the stereo spectrum of the mix. So I'm going to be listening in stereo this time. Um, Before, you know, I was listening in mono, but you were hearing it in stereo because I'm listening through my monitor controller in mono. But uh, this time, you know, I'm going to be listening in stereo, and I'm going to be adjusting sort of the balance of the mid to side. Um, so I might be, uh, pulling some things out of the sides, pulling some things out of the mid. I might be, uh, adding some top to the side, which is a pretty common thing to do to kind of make the sides of the mix sparkle a little bit more and kind of give it a little bit more like apparent width. Um, so we'll just see what happens.
1: It seeps through my window and a little A warm touch of yellow Making shadows on my face Just dancing, dancing Underneath my eyes on the grass The dirt and the dark I was just dancing, dancing, dancing Under the
0: Okay, so I'm really happy with what I've done, I've done a couple of very subtle moves, i pulled out, um, I got rid of my EQ move on my other EQ at around 210 Hz, and instead, uh, I moved it over to this EQ and pulled out 205 hertz only out of the mid-channel, I've pulled out a little 400 Hz um, only from the sides, and I've pulled out a little 3.5k from the sides, and a little bit of 7.5k from the mid only. Again, these are all like 0.4dB, 0.6dB, 0.3dB, very subtle moves here. Um, Another thing that I've done is sort of what's called an elliptical filter. Now, this has become more prevalent in modern times. Uh, Ironically, and it used to be way more prevalent, but essentially what this means is I'm making the low-end mono below a certain frequency. Now. This used to be done a lot more often back in the days of vinyl. Well, as you know, as I'm sure you know, uh, vinyl is sort of making a comeback. And all this does is essentially high-pass filter the side channel in a mid-side array uh, to make sure that the low end below a certain frequency is totally mono. Um... So you're left with just the mid channel there, which again is totally mono. Uh, and this is done partly in vinyl because uh, the low end has to be in phase, and it can't uh, otherwise the the you know it can't cut correctly. But another really nice benefit of this is that it seems to solidify the low end and make it very solid and sort of compacted in the middle of the mix. And the the sides of the mix aren't getting too, you know, tubby or the mix doesn't sound sort of like awkwardly... Uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it's a useful thing to do now because I mostly mix LCR, and because um, you know I filter a lot of my reverbs, things like that. Uh, you know, I don't generally have this problem. I don't generally have excessive low end below, you know, 200 hertz or 100 hertz or 80 hertz or whatever. Uh, I don't generally have excessive stereo content below that region. So I don't generally have that problem, but just as an added uh, as an added safety here to make sure, uh, I know some of those synths had you know uh, some low end down there. I'm just high passing the side channel. So just a couple of subtle EQ moves, like I said, you might not even be able to really hear what I'm doing, and that's kind of good. That's it's more just to add the finishing touch on this. But um, we need to get this mix louder. I know, I know, Uh, you know, I I like to keep dynamics in my mixes, but we have to bring the RMS level of this mix up. It's still pretty dynamic. Um, So we're going to start doing some compression. Um, First things first, I'm going to start with sort of a clean compressor. And this compressor is going to be just sort of gluing the whole mix together. I'm going to use FabFilter Pro C2. And I just want to mention also that both of my instances of Pro-Q 2 that I've done for the, the EQ of the mix and also the mid-side processing. These are both in natural phase mode. Um, and, and again, you can do this all in one instance of Fab Filter, but I prefer to do it in two just so I can sort of separate like main EQ moves and then mid-side processing. So I can bypass just the mid-side processing easily if I want to. Yep, so we're going to pull up Pro-C 2. And we're going to just add some compression to the mix as a whole, um, just to kind of tighten it up a little bit.
1: I know my sheet's all too well, and the warmth that's in between, taking me over to the other side, where I truly feel at be Dancing, dancing
0: Okay, so I'm going to play you a before and after here. I've just got a 2 to 1 ratio. I'm on soft knee. Um, I've got a 52 millisecond attack. Again, I'm just turning the knobs until they sound good to me. Uh, release is 118. Yeah, nothing fancy on the compression. Just I'm on clean mode for what it's worth. I, I mean, I start there. It usually sounds good. There is a mastering mode, but I don't know. I just like to tweak it myself. Um, so I'm going to A, B before and after. This is no compression.
1: With. Dancing, dancing, dancing the
0: I'm only compressing about a dB to 2 dB. Pretty subtle. Uh, and FabFilter is very clean. Uh, so I like the way that sounds. I've got oversampling mode on also, which I think helps it just sound a little bit better. Um, now we're going to add a different compressor. I'm going to add, uh, I'm going to add more of a character compressor. Give this a little bit more fullness, um, a little bit more punch, but I'm, I might try to do it in parallel. I don't know. We'll see. Let's try this.
1: Eyes on the grass and dirt.
0: Okay, I think that compressor is going to be a little bit too intense. Too much character. Uh, let's try a different one here. I just barely started compressing, and it was like, whoa. Uh, okay, so it's too much. Let's try this.
1: My eyes on the grass and dirt and dark. I was just dancing.
0: Okay, so that's a little bit more dramatic. Um, we're still doing a very low ratio, one point three to one, and we're even on seventy six percent uh, wet dry. So we're we're still blending in a little bit of the dry signal. Um, but I'm driving this compressor just a little bit. I've got a little faster attack than on the Fab filter. I've got a uh, looks like eighteen milliseconds, and my release is two thirty seven. Again, on soft knee, which I really like for um, this particular compressor. Uh, Sometimes I like hard knee, but it, it adds a nice punchiness. It is a little bit louder, yes, so we are being biased by that, but still, it adds a nice punchiness. There's sort of a drive control on here that I like, so... This is before and after. This is before. After. Just gives it a little bit of hair, you know. Gives it a little bit of aggression. Let me, uh, let me move to a different section. I'll A B that again. This is,
1: um, this is before.
0: After. That compressor does bring out a little bit more of like the s's and the. And the harsher transients on the vocals, um, so we might have to address that later. I'm um, not sure. We'll we'll see. We might end up switching that compressor out. I'm not sure. I'm actually gonna try one more compressor. I know you're probably thinking that's a lot of compression, but really, I'm only compressing a dB or two here and there. I'm just again trying to do it in stages, trying not to knock it all out in one, you know, one thing, because it generally will sound more subtle and more natural. Um, to do it in stages, very subtle stages, and I'm using each compressor to sort of do something slightly different. I'm also tweaking the side chain on each of these a little bit. Uh, the first one had no side chain. This one has a little bit of top end and bottom end rolled off on the side chain detector to focus a little bit more on those mid range hits and and be triggered by those mid range hits. Uh, again. In, if you're not, if you're confused by what I just said, what I what I mean is, I'm adjusting the input detector or the side chain uh, input into the compressor, which means that it doesn't affect the output. It affects how the compressor sees the input. So, for example, if you wanted, uh, if you wanted the compressor to pump really heavily based on the kick hits. Uh, you could sidechain in an EQ with the the low end boosted like crazy, so the compressor would see that as if that were the real thing. Um, but it's you're forcing the compressor to act a way that it normally wouldn't um, because. You know, you're telling it this is what you're trying to compress, uh, but it's not actually. I hope that made sense. There's some there's some info on that on the web on sidechain compression. It's really useful. Uh, also, again, if you have my book, there's a great uh, bit in there about sidechain compression. Uh, and in the new book that's coming out, the new second edition of the book that's coming out, uh, I talk a lot more about that as well. So we're gonna add one more compressor. This is another character compressor, and we're gonna do this. Uh, we're gonna compress this a little bit heavier. This one's almost specifically to just bring some more level into the equation, so we're going to compress this a little bit heavier than we normally might in a master, maybe more like 3 or 5 dB, but we're just going to blend in a little bit of it, okay, we're going to push up some saturation a little bit, um, you know, and we're not going to, uh, we're not going to really focus on, um, you know, making this one sound perfectly good or clean or whatever, because we're going to just barely blend it in to bring up our RMS level, so let's try it eyes see that's really crunchy that's not how it's gonna be in the end I, I'm, I'm crunching it up on purpose um, I am using the high pass detector because uh, I don't want it to be crazy distorted and pumpy based on the kick drum uh, I put it up to about 150 Hertz but I've got a slow attack going medium fast release I guess I don't know I um, and uh, I've got the saturation high. but I'm gonna blend this in just a little bit. so it's all the way wet right now, but I'm gonna blend it in just a little.
1: I my too well.
0: I'm gonna back down my saturation a little.
1: I my too well. And the in between. Taking me over to the other side. Where feel
0: Okay. Uh, so right now I've only got this at 26% wet. Um, so it's just a little bit, I backed down the saturation a little bit, it's a little too strong. I don't want this to sound distorted. I, I want this mix to still sound pretty clean and hi-fi, but I'm gonna A-B these together. Um, again, this is specifically for bringing up the volume, uh, and adding a little bit of character, a little bit of saturation, a little bit of thickness. Uh, so I'm gonna A-B this, uh, side-by-side. Side. This is working pretty well. This is no compression.
1: She's all too well, and the warmth that's in between. With taking me over to the
0: other side, where joy feel at peace. I was just dancing back down the saturation a little bit more. Beneath
1: my eyes, on the grass and dirt in the dark. I was just dancing, 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 without. And earth. With. underneath my eyes on the grass the dark, in the dark I was just dancing dancing
0: dancing so it adds some thickness and some saturation uh, I like how that sounds but it is bringing out those s's a little bit more um, so we're we're actually going to we're gonna use a multiband compressor. Uh, I really like what this is doing, but it's it's bringing out certain things in the mix that I didn't notice before. And um, I might end up tweaking one of my EQs here in a second, so we'll see here. Uh, let me play this again. I knew my she's all too
1: well. And the that's in between.
0: Okay, so I tweaked one of my EQs a little bit, uh, but we're going to pull up Pro MB from FabFilter again. And what we're going to do is we're going to use this to control different parts of the frequency spectrum dynamically. Uh, What's nice about multiband compression uh, is that if you've got the tone how you like it, but certain things pop out... You can control it only when they pop out. Um, So, for example, on a vocal, you know, a vocalist could have a song where they sing kind of low in the verses and then they go up high and the tone of their voice changes. And you don't want to change the tone too much. I mean, you could automate the EQ and you can do that. you could split it onto a separate track. You could do that. But sometimes a multiband compressor will really sort of even out the tonal differences between those sections. So we're going to try it first. Um, there's a couple things I want to try with the multiband. Um, I feel like I'm losing with, with that compression. I'm losing a little bit of punch in the low end um maybe we'll try to do that t- tweak that up a little bit. I also want to I'm going to remove some of my EQ. I added a little bit of top end on some of these other EQs and instead I think I'm going to try to add top end with the multiband compressor but then compress it so that the hi hat and like the sibilance doesn't get too strong. I still want the mix to be present but those s's are are kind of bothering me. And again, I know that I mix the song. I could open up the other session and, you know, ad- adjust the de-esser, but we're, we're acting as though we're the mastering engineer. We can't, uh, we can't alter the mix. Um, might also try to control some of those mid... The mid-range in this song can get a little out of hand with all those guitars and synths, and, uh, you know, the, his voice is particularly uh, lower than your average sort of, like, pop rock singer, and so it kind of clouds up the mid-range a little bit, so we'll check that out. Let's try this... Okay, we'll start by adjusting those S's. Right about 6.2K is where they're really popping out. Uh, 5 to 6K, really. Uh, So we're going to adjust... Okay, so now I'm only compressing about 2 dB, and I've set my threshold. I've got a pretty fast attack, fast release, uh, three to one ratio-ish, 2.8. Um, and on those snare hits, and on those sibilant vocal hits, this band is compressing. What's nice is when when he's singing things that aren't sibilant, and when he's uh, you know the snare isn't hitting. Um, this is the section I tend to notice it the most when the snare and hi hat are hitting together. This section can get and, and the vocals are you know full throttle singing the chorus. Uh, you know, those backing vocals and lead vocals tend to get a little bit harsh up in this region. You know, five to seven K. I my she's all too. I'm also going to add a little bit of top-end above that, but then make sure that that's kind of reeled in with compression. So I'm going to add a little bit of like a high shelf with one of these bands. Um, Let's see here, maybe just add like a DB. So I've set my, uh, on the side chain here, I've set this to be detected by that same region in uh, that sort of 5K region. I've adjusted the sidechain so that it's being triggered by those S's again, those 5, 6, 7K region. Um, so this isn't being triggered by symbols; it's being triggered by the S's. So I'm adding a little bit of top end, but it's being uh, brought back every time there's an S or a bright snare hit or hi-hat hit. And the in between. This is with the plug-in bypass. to the other side. Let me play it for you again. Here's bypassed. I my she's all too well. Take a listen for the S's on the vocal. I my she's all too well. And the in I'm gonna play it again with the plug-in on.
1: I my she's all
0: too well. And the in It's just a little bit smoother. They don't pop out quite as much. Uh, I like that. Um, we're going to try another trick here uh, in the low end. Um, I want to make sure that my low end is still punchy. Um, And so what we're going to do is actually, we're going to add a low shelf band. Yeah. I really only want to affect the kick and bass. And essentially what I want to do is, because the kick drum has a transient and the bass is more of a sustained note, um, the kick drum is going to push down that band. It's going to trigger the compressor, which is going to act almost like this sort of uh, sidechain compression that dance music is famous for, but in a subtle scale. Um, so I'm going to make sure this isn't going to compress too much. I need my Pull my range up a little bit. Just wanted to tighten up that low end a little bit. There we go. You see how that's punchy? So essentially that low end is kind of like pumping on command. Now it's not pumping very much. We're compressing like a dB and a half. Um, but that that kick drum is sort of forcing that compressor to compress. And because the bass is in that region as well, uh, it's sort of like gluing those together just a little bit extra. Um, so let's hear this before and after. Let me find like the chorus. Let me make sure...
1: Just dancing, dancing. So this is before my eyes on the
0: grass the dirt and dirt. After, I was just dancing, dancing, dancing. That might be a little much wanna pull that up a little bit. I was
1: just dancing, dancing underneath my eyes on the grass
0: the dirt and dirt. Bypass,
1: I was just dancing, 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 dancing.
0: After. Will the tree before.
1: Underneath my eyes on the
0: grass. Listen for how the kick will be punchy here.
1: Dancing,
0: dancing, dancing. Hear that little bit extra punch that comes in? Um, I like that a lot. Uh, it just kind of gives this a little bit more glue in the low end uh, and helps us retain some of that punch after we've compressed. I'm going to check out some mid bands and see if... Uh, This is right around 3K. This is a region that can get pretty harsh. I might compress that a little bit just to keep that in check. Our ears are really sensitive to this region.
2: just a little bit
0: That band is hardly compressing but every now and then when there's a guitar lick or a loud snare fill or something it'll it'll pop down just like a dB just to kind of keep that range in check cuz like I said that 3k range can get a little harsh and with all these synths and guitars uh, you know it can it can sometimes pop creep creep up on you a little bit Make sure, that this region doesn't get out of control. This is right where sort of like his vocal and the guitars collide. Um, 400 hertz. compressing at all. Now I'm gonna check out this. Well, see, this region can get a little bit out of control when this backing vocals pop through. Um, I don't know, maybe I don't need that. Okay, so uh, I'm going to play you now before and after with all these bands. Uh, I've just added little tiny bits of compression in certain regions um, triggered by certain things. Uh, I've adjusted the side chain on each of these bands so that, you know, they're only being triggered by certain things. Some of them have a range selected, which is the maximum amount of reduction. And most of them are, you know, this one's 3 dB, this one's 1.9 dB, 2.9 2. 09db, 3db, so most of these are only compressing about a db and the maximum they'll compress is 3db, but none of them are. Uh, Most of these are only compressing, just just tickling the meter if you will, you know, just barely compressing. The band that's compressing the most is this band, this high frequency. And it's reacting to those S's. I was just dancing, dancing. And even then it's only compressing about 2 dB. So let me play you before and after on this section uh, with this whole plug-in bypassed. This is without.
1: I was just dancing, dancing, underneath my eyes on the grass, the dirt, and the With. I was just dancing, dancing, dancing. Out. dancing dancing underneath my eyes on the grass and dark and the dark with just dancing 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 my heart beats.
0: in the end it's a pretty subtle effect but it just kind of helps reel in any of these regions in the mix that seem to get a little bit out of hand around that vocal region it allows us to put a little bit more top end uh without getting harsh on those snare hits or vocal stabs with the you know the s's it allows us to tighten up our bottom end a little bit solidify our kick and bass together a little bit more um, and control some of our mid-bands to make sure that those aren't uh, getting a little bit crazy when we have certain instruments that come in. Because this song has a lot of different sort of sections in it. You know, there's like the drums are in, then they're out, then, you know, they're doing snare rolls, and then they're doing a beat, and then they're doing like a dance beat. Uh, then we've got like this build. And so there's a lot of different things. And these these compressors really help me reel in those things and, and really help me uh, keep them in check. Um, the Fab Filter's great. The Waves is great. Uh, there's a lot of them out there that are really nice. Um, I, I do like... You Using multiband, but I don't use it a ton in the mix. I'll use it sometimes. I like it on vocals. I like it on keys pretty well. Uh, I like it on things that are sort of wide range. I don't like it on drums very much. It's okay. Uh, it's essentially just a deesser, but with multi bands. You know what I mean? It's a, and a deesser is really just a, a split compressor that's only compressing, you know, either based on a certain frequency region or it's only compressing that frequency region. Uh, so yeah, very cool. Uh, let's let's back up a little bit. Let's get some context. Let's bypass some of our plugins and see how we're coming along. This is with no plugins. Not bad, we've still kept our headroom pretty solid. We have added a little bit of volume, but that's not a big problem. I want to I want to listen to this whole song in headphones. So I'm, I'm going to go grab a pair of nice headphones, ex- you know, expensive headphones, and then I'm also going to grab a pair of cheaper headphones, and we're just going to hear how they sound. Now, you're going to be hearing the mix full from st- top to bottom, but I'm going to listen to, like, the first half with the nice pair and the second half with the cheap pair and just see if there's any tweaks that I want to make to the EQ... Maybe so. I want to make sure that it sounds good and on as many systems as I can. And I might, uh, you know, I might adjust an EQ a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see.
1: seeps through my window, in illuminated veins, a warm touch of yellow, making shadows on my face, I was just dancing, underneath my eyes, on the grass, dancing, 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 under the willow tree. It's been a while. I knew my sheets all too well, and the warmth that's in between Taking me over to the other side.
0: Okay, so I'm going to switch to my other set of headphones. It sounds pretty good. I, I tweaked a couple of the EQs, little tiny bits. Uh, some of them I just moved the frequency a little bit. Uh, one, I removed actually some top end. I just took one of the bands off. I just think it sounded a little bit harsh in those headphones. And let's see, I just moved another frequency down a little. And then I added, I I was cutting about a dB and a half at one spot. I actually put that pulled that back to about point. 7 dB. Uh, and then I cut a little bit more at one other region. It was about minus a half dB and now it's about minus 0.8 dB. Uh, I'm going to switch over to the other headphones, the crappier headphones and, uh, give those a listen. tweaking one of my compressors a little bit. So this is interesting. I actually, I pulled up another instance of Fab filter and I'm pulling down like 0.3 dB um, from only the right channel. Instead of the mid or the side or stereo, I'm pulling it down from only the right channel. And it could just be that guitar, but in this pair of headphones, it seems to be bothering me a little bit. It seems like the that guitar is a little bit tubby in that region uh, on the right channel. Uh, again, I could open up the mix and tweak it there. But again, we're pretending like we're the mastering engineer. This is what we get. This is what would happen. Um, You know, this is what would happen if you sent your mix to a mastering engineer. Uh, They'd be listening for it as if they had no control over anything else. Here, right around here, around 300 and... Yeah, about 362 hertz. Just pulling down like half a dB... You want to be careful with doing left-right EQ because your mix can start to, you know, it'll affect everything that's in that right speaker, including, like, the kick and snare, which are in the left and right speakers equally. So you got to be really careful when you're EQing the left and right separately. Um, You know, I would advise not going too low. Uh, I try to stick to more, like, mid-range and high-frequency stuff if I'm going to do that. Um, you know, this is almost getting to the point of like, eh, it's getting pretty low. I try not to do much left-right EQ unless it needs it. I mean, unless it really needs it, uh, I try not to do a ton of left-right EQ, but in this case, I don't know. It bothered me. It could be this pair of headphones. I don't know. I'm going to listen back on my speakers again here in a minute, but... (laughs) Okay, so I was pretty happy with how it sounded on headphones. I was pretty pleased. Sometimes they can sound really harsh on headphones or, you know, awkwardly wide or something. Uh, But I was pretty happy with it overall. Yeah, uh, now I guess it's time to do our final limiting, our our leveling to get this thing loud. Uh, Now, we've been doing subtle amounts of work. Uh, you know, little compression here, little compression there, little multiband, you know, tiny bits to kind of bring up that RMS level, uh, contain some of those peaks a little bit better. And with the multiband, we're sort of like adjust, like containing peaks in certain spots, like low-frequency peaks and high-frequency peaks. We're sort of adjusting just tiny little bits at a time. So we're going to pull up Fab Filter Pro-L. I also really like the Sonox, the Oxford limiter. I uh, really like that plugin, but we're going to use Pro-L. Um, and we're gonna pull up our level slowly. I'm gonna adjust so that it doesn't blow you away, uh, when listening back to this, but right now we've still got a good amount of headroom. Our peaks are hitting about negative three, um, so we've still got quite a bit of good, good amount of headroom. I had a lot of headroom to start with, so I'm gonna level match this so it's not gonna blow you away when I bring up the level. tweaking my attack and release a little bit okay i'm going to adjust my compression just a little bit on my other on my actual compression tracks now that i've got this on it's sort of like revealing certain things about the mix
1: i was just dancing dancing underneath my eyes on the grass dirt and dark i was
0: just adjusting my ratio a little bit on one of these compressors uh, my attack, I don't know let me find this other section I'm okay with that
1: I knew my sheets all too well with my eyes on the grass and dirt and dark I was just dancing dancing dancing
0: So, I pulled up a, a great little free plugin called the TT Dynamic Range Meter. Um, this is one of my favorite little plugins for metering. Uh, it shows your RMS level and it also shows your dynamic range, which is essentially like I was talking about before your crest factor. Um, it shows sort of how much dynamic range is in your mix. Um, And we're sitting at about an RMS of maybe negative 10, negative 9. And our dynamic range is about negative 10, negative 9. Our peak is now 0 because we're using this limiter to push it up to 0. Well, technically speaking, uh, negative (laughs) 0.1. But uh, point being, um, uh, we're pushing this level up. We're only compressing about a dB and a half to 2 dB on these peaks, on these drums, you know, kick and snare peaks. Uh, So we're not slamming it. Uh, We're using this in transparent mode on Pro-L. I've got my attack at 278 milliseconds, which might seem like crazy slow, but it's a little different with a limiter like this, with a brick wall limiter like this. And a 276 millisecond release. Again, these types of times don't really matter because it always depends on what it is you're using. You know, you could pull up some compressor and set these settings just like that, and it's not going to sound anything like it. So don't read too much into the settings that I'm using. Again, you just got to tweak it by ear. So, yeah, and we're sitting pretty good on our level. Um, This is a free plug in this TT Dynamic Range Meter. You got to check it out. It's great. It really helps you sort of gauge how loud your mix really is. In a section like this, we're about 10 10 dB dynamic range. As it gets to the bigger section, sitting more like
2: 9.5.
0: About 9, 8.9 dB right here. To me, that's hot, but it's not crazy hot. I mean, like, a bunch of mixes today in the pop market are going to be, like, have a dynamic range of, like, 6 dB or something or, like, 4. They're just crazy, crazy slammed. I like about 9 or 10 because it's hot, but it's not so hot that it sounds bad. We're going to uh, just give it one more listen from the top. I might tweak some things. I need to tweak my uh, compression on this one a little bit. I'm going to adjust my compression, maybe check out some EQ, and just see if there's any other things I want to tweak.
1: Just dancing, dancing, dancing under the willow tree. Elliot's been a while.
0: Okay, so I tweaked my EQ just a little bit. I added one more point here at 1K. There seemed to be a little bit of a weird resonance going on there in certain sections of the song. Uh, I I changed my frequency down from like 200 to 180 on one of these EQs. Adjusted my frequency balance up in the high mids. Added a little bit more 2K back. I had removed some of that, but then pulled back some 4K... So again, I, I'm just sort of listening and responding how I feel. I'm going to check this uh, last section out on my NS10s for a second, which are, uh, as you might know, very mid-range dominant speakers to make sure that it's not too harsh in that region. That's always a really tricky region, very sensitive to the ear, hard to get smooth. I just want to check these out on my NS10s. Underneath
1: my eyes, on the
0: ah, not bad, not bad. In
1: the dark, I was just dancing, dancing, dancing. Dancing underneath my eyes on the grass and dirt and the
0: dark. I was just dancing, dancing, dancing. My heart beats peacefully. Cool. Well, I'm very happy with the way this has turned out. Um our you know our dynamic range is pretty contained. It's not too wide, it's not too narrow. Um, Our levels nice and hot? Uh, Again, we'd send it to the band at this point and see, you know, what do you think? Um, Do you like how it sounds? Is it loud enough for you? Unfortunately, that's the question you got to ask. I mean, um, for me, I think it's plenty loud. I don't think it needs to be any louder. But, you know, if the band wants it louder, they want it louder. I know that's a constant struggle when it comes to mastering. Um, and again loudness doesn't come from just the mastering that's a big uh, that's a big myth that a lot of people struggle with I struggle with it myself for a long time loudness does not come from mastering um, alone again it's it's all about multiple stages getting things done in multiple stages the part of the loudness comes from just a good frequency balance with all the instruments part of it comes from good use of compression and/or saturation in the mix. Uh, making sure that things aren't too dynamic, but still making sure they have, you know, breathing room. Uh, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. It's something that's really difficult that you have to work with. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy enough to call this a finished master. So the last thing we're going to make sure and do is make sure our dither is correct. So for a master, I usually make two versions of the master, and that is a 32-bit master, which is what my sessions are. I keep my sessions in 32-bit float. Um, so we're going to make a 32 bit master. So it's 44, one K and 32 bit, but we're also going to make, um, you know, a 16 bit master, which means we're going to use a dither. So on the 32 bit master, we use no dither. We've had no dither in the path s- so far. Uh, but on pro L we've got a dither. So we're gonna set this to. I just like the normal basic noise shaping most of the time. Sometimes I use optimized or weighted, but for the most part, I just keep it on basic noise shaping. We're gonna set our dither to 16 bits, and uh, we're gonna make our 16-bit master, which is what is generally released. That is CD standard, 44.1 k and 16-bit. For some reason, that's still the standard, even though we have you know super high-quality equipment. One more thing that I do is I also make the band a an MP3 master. Now, a lot of times people will take that wave master and use some cheapo converter or the one within iTunes or whatever uh, and just turn it into, you know, a 128 kbps MP3. But instead, I just give them a 320 kbps MP3 direct from the session so that they don't have to convert. Uh, I feel like it's going to be better quality than, you know, a cheapo converter that does it in 10 seconds. Uh, so we're going to make those and yeah okay so the next thing I'm going to do is play you the mix from start to finish and I'm going to be adjusting um, the I have all of the three mixes lined up I have our rough mix our very initial rough mix I have our final mix and I have our master and I've level matched them as best as I can um, just by ear and try to give you a good idea of what is happening in each one and i'm going to just go through the song and um, tell you which one i'm switching as i switch it um so i think this will be really revealing to you to show you a how far it came from the initial rough mix um, to the end of the mix but also how similar the master is to the mix and how what our mastering did might have seemed like we were doing a lot but in reality we were doing little tiny changes little tiny tweaks that added up to just an overall smoother fuller bigger mix Um, and you'll also hear how um even though my master is uh you know 10 db louder than my mix um once that i've once i've level matched them um to about the same rms level Uh, they don't sound that different, which is good. That means that our mastering was not too much. We retained the clarity and punch in the original song. Uh, We didn't master it so hot that it got all pumpy and weird. Um, We still had dynamics in the song. We still had punch in the low end. Um, But you'll notice that the master sounds a little bit wider, a little bit clearer, a little bit tighter, um, and just punchy. And yeah, so let's get started. We're going to transition into our mix. And our master. Notice how punchy the low end is. Light seeps through my window. Back to our rough mix. Illuminated veins.
1: A warm touch of yellow.
0: And our mix. Shadows
1: on my face. I was just dancing, dancing. My eyes rough mix the and the, the dark. I was just dancing, 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 the, the, the will Master elliot has been a while.
0: Mix Back to Master.
1: All too well, and the warmth that's in between. Rough mix, taking me over to the other side.
0: Ritually feel my peace. Back to mix, I was
1: just dancing, dancing underneath my eyes, On the grass and dirt,
0: and the dirt. master. I was
1: just dancing, dancing, dancing. To mix. Back, to
0: mix. back to mix master To our rough mix, and back to our mix, master. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed this podcast series. I know that I always get lots of comments and compliments and praise for doing these Let's Mix and Master a Song series because they really help people. They help people to see that, yes, a mix can take things to entire new levels. Now, again, I'd like to reiterate that most of the time, mix problems, when you encounter a problem in the mix, it's actually a recording problem, all right? And the goal should be that you need to try Try to get things as good as you can at every stage. So try to get your recordings as good as possible. Don't the, the moral of this podcast series is not for you to look at what I've done to this mix and say, oh man, the magic is in the mix. That's not true because the magic really comes from a good song performed really well in a good room with good equipment, good guitars, good drums, etc., and recorded well. If this had been recorded, you know, ten times better, I would have to do ten times less in the mix. You know, you can look at it that way if you want. You know, if it was recorded better, I would do less in the mix. If I mix it better, then they would do less in the master. You know, every stage is important, but I find personally, uh, recordings tend to sound the best when the 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 recording process itself is the best it can possibly be. Um, And then each stage after that is less and less important. Yes, it is really important to be a great mixer, and it is important to learn how to mix and to be able to take mixes to new heights, but it's even more important, in my opinion, to learn how to, you know, learn the mistakes that you made in the mix. You know, when I said, okay, I I had to do a lot of work to the kick drum or to the vocal or to the whatever, fix those problems while recording And then that will save you all that time in the mix trying to figure out how to bring out the punch or bring out the whatever, you know, uh, get rid of noise, get rid of this, um, get rid of S's, make sure the vocal is uh, up front and clear, you know, maybe you could use a different mic or use a different, uh, you know, use a different placement on the vocal or on the kick or on the whatever. Um, you know, if the guitar sounds a little bit harsh, you know, maybe move the mic a little bit differently, you know, try to learn from what you've done in the mixes. Try to learn from what I've done in this mix. Um, you know, what, what things do you notice in your mixes that you feel like you have to do? Um, you know, if you feel like, man, I'm constantly doing this and this to my vocals. I'm constantly doing this to my bass. Try to figure out what you can change um, in the recording process to make that not a problem. And it can be as subtle as try different bass strings on your bass or try altering the way that the bass is played, you know, rather than playing with a pick, play with the fingers or vice versa. Um, you know, try playing at a different spot. You know what I mean? Like some bass players play far down close to the bridge. Some bass players play closer up to the neck. Um, use an amp, use a different DI you know, buy one of those amazing uh, Tech 21 VT-based DIs, which I am obsessed with and I love, absolutely love. Um, they're kind of like a Sans Amp, but better. Uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, you can there's so many things that you can tweak and alter to save you time in the mix later. Um, there are so many things now. And and granted, this mix wasn't a crazy long mix. It didn't take us, you know, days upon days. If you add up all the time it took to do this mix, you know, it could have been oh five six hours. It wasn't a crazy long mix. Now, to be fair, I have mixed this song before, so I'm very familiar with it. But um, still try to fix as many of those problems on the way in. Try to get the best sound that you can on the way in. Now, here's of course the big question that some of you have in your mind. Well, how do I know what's going to be right for the mix? And that, my friends, is why audio engineering is so difficult. Because um, a mix engineer doesn't necessarily have to have a ton of knowledge about audio engineering. But an audio engineer needs to have knowledge about mixing because the audio engineer needs to kind of know what a mixer is going to need and what a mix really needs for a vocal to cut or for a guitar to cut or for a snare drum to be punchy or for a kick drum to be full, but not too full, not boomy. Uh, and so, you know, I really think that the challenge, the, the moral that you should take away from this mix series might be an ironic one, and that is focus on the things up front focus on getting the best recordings you can and then um you know and this is not a slam on the guys in the band you know guys I'm sure you're listening to this I really really was impressed with what you guys were able to do in that room I know it's a small room I know that there are challenges I know that there are electrical issues I know that you know, you guys have done good things with, um, you know, what you have, and it's proof that I was able to get what I got out of the mix. Um, because if the if the raw files that you sent me um, were not good, were unusable, I probably wouldn't have been able to make the mix that I made. Um, so you're on the right track. You know, I'm telling you, you're on the right track, and uh, from talking to you guys. Uh, over the last, you know, six months, a year, whatever, I know that, um, you guys have experienced sort of like, you know, okay, well, how can, you know, what's wrong with my toms? You know, what, how can I get a better tom sound? How can I get a better kick drum sound? And that's, that's what it's all about right there. Uh, anybody listening, the band, if you guys are listening, podcast listeners, all of you guys, what I'm trying to say is it's baby steps. Okay. You focus on, you know, you, you you try to learn from what you've done, okay? So, okay, how can I get a better kick sound? how What, what could I do to make those guitars sound better? Or, you know, what could I have done, uh, you know, do I need to try a different pick or a different guitar strings or different amp or different cabinet or different mic or, you know, how can I get my bass a little bit less clacky? We had that problem in this, in this mix. The bass was a little bit clacky. Okay, well, maybe that's a technique thing. Maybe the strings that were used could be different. Maybe... Uh, This is an interesting one, but an option, a a consideration no less. Um, Some basses you can mount the strings on top through the bridge and others you go through the body. And some basses, uh, like my jazz bass, you can do both. So what's interesting about that is when you mount the strings through the body, you get a little bit more tension on the strings. And when you mount them through the bridge, you get a little bit less tension. And so you can kind of tweak with that and see... Um, You know, all of these little tiny things add up. Audio engineering, mixing, mastering, nothing is one skill, okay? Mixing is not a skill. Audio engineering is not a skill. They are all a series of thousands and thousands of small skills. And as an audio engineer, your canvas, so to speak, is, you know, working with instruments and players and rooms and mics and gear. Uh, As a mixer, your job is sort of taking what's there and enhancing it. So, again, if what's there, I mean, if there's nothing there to begin with or if something there is, you know, not good, the mixer has, is going to have a hard time enhancing what's there. So, um, focus on trying to get the best sounds you can. Focus on trying to, trying to really get the best that you can at every single stage. Um, the goal being to do less and less to the music um, so that eventually you're to a point where you can record something. Fit it in the mix very easily, effortlessly, and the process becomes much more creative. Um, you're free from a lot of those technical details um, because you've improved all these things. And again, you know, a lot of times home studio guys get a little bit overconfident because, for example, they'll have their guitar tone and they'll sort of know you know, what to do to get this one guitar sound. They'll work for years to get this one guitar sound that they love, like their tone, for example. You know, they'll tweak mics and they'll move them inch by inch and they'll put tape on the speaker cab to make sure that they mic them in the same place and they'll use these amp settings and these pedal settings and they'll get this perfect tone. But then some band comes in and they don't know how to get that guitar tone. So it's an ever evolving process. You're never going to know how to do it all. So you really have to develop your ears. You can't, you can't look at audio engineering or mixing as sort of like, I'm going to learn how to process a kick drum in this way. And then that means I know how to process a kick. What This is all about is listening and responding. Okay, I've said that a thousand times already, but it's about listening to what you have and what you need it to be and having that vision in your mind to understand, all right, this is what I'm dealing with right now. You know, this is the sound that I need it to be. Um, How can I get it there? And so you can't ever, you know, there's no such thing as the perfect tone. What really there is is the right tone for the given project. So, you know, if you've worked all this time trying to get the perfect big fat snare sound, that's great. But what about the times when you don't need a big fat snare, when you need an open sort of mid ringy snare Um, You know, can you get that? Okay. That's the new challenge. All right. And, and, and so you're constantly evolving and yes, it is a lot. um, You know, and I, I want to dispel the myth that audio engineering is one of these, like, you know, you just keep working until you get the best sound possible. Cause there are a lot of people out there that have a sound and they can't do other things. Like they get, pinhold into this tiny little corner of, oh yeah, he's a really good audio engineer for metal, or he's a really good audio engineer for acoustic music, or he's a really good mixer for pop. Uh, And I don't recommend doing that. You know, if that's the path that you want to take, go for it. But my recommendation is don't have a sound. Don't try to get really good at one thing. Try to expand your horizons and learn about getting heavy guitar tones and jazz guitar tones and, you know, funk guitar tones and indie rock guitar tones and try to get, as much experience in as many areas as you can, experiment with high-tuned snares and low tune snares and big open kick drums with no dampening and super tight kick drums, super tight punchy kick drums with tons of dampening. Experiment with really bright, uh, articulate bass tones and really thuddy, sort of vintage-y bass tones you know, try to learn as much as you can about all of these different tones and try to learn from all different types of music. And that is what will make you a great audio engineer. That is what will make you a great mixer. Not from trying to get really good at one sound. Um, what makes you good is what, you know, is is your ears. And if you can massage your ears and get your ears working in a way that you are starting to focus on listening and responding rather than, oh, well, this is what I have to do to get a good kick sound. Um, you know, that's when you'll really start to get better and notice an improvement is when you find yourself simply listening to what's there and trying to envision the sound that needs to be there. And yes, that takes time. Yes, it takes practice, but I believe in you guys. I know you can do it. All right. That's our show, guys. That's our, uh, let's mix and master a song podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope you've learned a lot. Please feel free. Send me questions, comments. Uh, What I'm going to do is an FAQ show. This is going to be a follow-up show to um, this whole series. It's something I wanted to do on the last show, but I didn't necessarily get to do it like I wanted to. So um, if you have questions about this series, please send them my way, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. And I will include your questions in the podcast um, I want to answer your questions about the show and, and about this series specifically. Um, if you've been following along with it, because I know that there are questions. I've even got a couple questions from the band, which I've included in this FAQ. I've already gotten some questions and already made part of the podcast. So, uh, I was waiting until I released the last episode, um, to get my final round of questions. So please submit your questions about this series to my email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, podcast ideas, etc., please send them to that email as well. And if you're interested in me mixing or mastering or both one of your songs or multiple songs or your whole album, please send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com, and I'll get you a good quote for that. If you're interested in supporting this podcast on Patreon, uh, you can go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Recording Lounge, and you can pledge to uh, donate a certain amount of money every time I produce a podcast. I've already got quite a few pledgers on there and I greatly appreciate it, guys. It's a really, really wonderful thing that you've decided to support the podcast. I greatly appreciate it, again. uh, So just thanks to all my supporters. And if you're interested, again, that link is patreon.com slash recording lounge. You can check out the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com. Facebook page facebook.com slash recording lounge be a part of the community there you can also contact me and ask me questions on that on there if you feel more comfortable rather than email um, yeah and I will talk to you guys next time uh, please submit your questions so I can make that FAQ show soon I also want to extend a special thank you to the band cavern company for letting me use this song on the podcast uh, it's been a lot of fun and uh, you know without bands like them, without clients like them I, I wouldn't be able to do this you know they're letting us use this song and pick it apart and see the good and the bad and the ugly right so um, thank you guys so much for letting me use this song Um, I'm going to play you the full mix start to finish the full master really and uh, so yeah enjoy it I'll talk to you guys next time
1: Warm, touching yellow, making shadows on my face. I was just dancing, dancing underneath my eyes, on the grass, the dirt and the dark. I was just dancing, dancing, dancing under the willow tree. Elliot's been a while. But to the other side Where we feel at peace I was just dancing, dancing Underneath my eyes On the grass and the dirt and the dark I was just dancing, dancing, dancing